Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another brand new episode of Is It a Classic? The podcast that looks at a match in wrestling history and determines definitively if it is in fact a classic. Today we are talking about CM Punk versus John Cena at Money in the Bank 2011. Should be a fun one. My name is Chad. I'm joined as always by my best friend Daniel. Let us go to that theme. The biggest match in pro wrestling history. This is not a wrestling match. Again, it is another episode of Is It a Classic? Welcome, everyone. Is It a Classic? Of course, the podcast that takes a look at legit surprises in wrestling history. We're talking AJ appearing in the Rumble. We're talking Seth's turn on the Shield. We're talking John Cena returning at MSG in the Rumble. Uh, And of course, anytime Shelton Benjamin gets a victory, classic wrestling surprises. Wait, has that happened? Yeah, believe it or not, he's gotten uh, like one or two. Wow. Well, I have boycotted the Thunderdome. That boycott, of course, officially ends next week, so I'm excited. So if Shelton won this week on Raw, it's, it's unfortunate that I... Might have missed that one. He didn't. I was expecting you to say, of course he won because there ain't no stopping him, no. But uh, is it a real boycott? Uh, like, is your boycott end? Like, the Thunderdome ends, so you still are boycotting it. Like, in case it ever comes back, you could still be boycotting it. It's not like your boycott just ends. It's almost like you won. It's like a hunger strike, and then you got what you wanted. Well, I've got to leave that contract open-ended. Let's say Pandemic 2.0 comes around. I can't be like, well, I'm done with the Thunderdome. The Delta variant, as they say. Right. Delta could make a whole other Thunderdome. Maybe uh, a- the, the Kenny Omega variant could be coming, too. Mm-hmm. It could be Thundermania. Thundermania. I appreciate... Well, we'll, we'll get to it in a second. Um, uh, just kidding, though. <laughs> if you've listened to us before, you know this is the podcast where we look at a, a match in wrestling history and determine definitively if it is a classic. And we've got what the kids call a doozy. That is CM Punk versus Jan Cena at Money in the Bank 2011 for the world championship. And if Cena loses, he is fired. A lot going on in this one emanating from Punk's hometown of Chicago. I... Was very excited. Did you know this was like almost exactly ten years ago? Yeah, I mean, did I, you pick I, it because of that anniversary, or is that just you? I didn't pick it because nice it was look. being ten years ago per se. I picked it because it was a Money in the Bank match, and we've got that pay per view coming up, so Money in the Bank was sort of on my mind. The ten year thing just happens to be serendipitous. Man, I got to say, normally, you know, when you think about classic wrestling stuff or stuff that happened in yesteryear when you say things like that was 10 years ago it sort of elicits an automatic wow it just doesn't seem like 10 years this does seem like 10 years ago maybe 10 plus yeah it actually does that's a good way to put it i don't know that it affects the match quality itself but yeah one of those weird things that you're like that did seem like that seems like the appropriate time 
yeah. uh, in history. Well, you want to get into some uh, recent wrestling? Um, I, you know, you said your boycotted the Thunderdome, so I know you didn't watch Raw or SmackDown. So I'll give some of my quick thoughts on here. SmackDown was fine. Uh, sucks that Bailey got injured. You know, at the extra training that she apparently had to do, which is just absolutely dumb. That's why you don't need to do that stuff. Um, Edge was fine. Jimmy Uso's there like nothing ever happened. Um, it was overall sort of the same show it always is, except for Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox randomly showed up, who you would have no idea who they are because you don't watch NXT. But they were there. Uh, Raw was better. It was more focused because it was a taped show, which was good. I got to say, uh, I would say go out of your way to see Ricochet versus John Morrison in the Falls Count Anywhere match. That was pretty, pretty a sweet match. Ricochet got to be the Ricochet that we know he can be. Uh, Natty and Rhea had a surprisingly good match. Not Don't necessarily need to go out of your way to see it, but just for those listening, know that that happened. And then Xavier Woods getting a random roll-up on Bobby Lashley. Uh, I don't know if he's going to get a title shot, but it led to Lashley's greatest promo of his career, like him ending Raw, go see that, him destroying stuff, sending the girls packing, talking about he's going to be big badass Bobby Lashley. My word's not his from here on out. It was a good sort of character reset for him to get him out of that like champagne drinking, lounging champion he was. I like that. A small tweak, you know, kind of back to basics. I'm going to get dead serious here. He could be heading into one of the biggest programs of his life. We don't know how the booking's going to go, but the WWE has promised many big surprises. I would imagine some of those involve your current WWE champion. So, Bobby getting serious, uh, being the best version of himself going forward into the summer, I think it's a good idea. That's cool. Yep. So that so that was, but you know, overall it was still sort of the same stuff that you that you know to expect. So I'm excited for them to get in front of the crowd on uh, Friday. I wouldn't be surprised if Roman actually gets cheered because he's been such an amazing character. You know what I mean? That would be that'll be interesting to see if he's finally finally uh, cheered. Uh, I do want to ask before we move to AEW, who do you think is going to win Money in the Bank? I have a sinking feeling it's Drew. I don't want it to be. I just don't really know that they're going to pull the trigger on anybody else that's in the match. I don't know. I can see them actually giving it to Riddle because it seems like they're really high on Riddle and that gives him something to do. And Randy could come back and be pissed that Riddle has it and have that little dynamic there. And you can get that feud going for a little while. And if, if Riddle cashes in and Orton costs him the title, like that's a, that's a good way to break up that team. Or if they fight for the briefcase it's a good way to break up that team. So I don't know. I, I could almost see Riddle real getting it uh, or surprise appearance by Brock. who just comes in and destroys everyone and just takes the briefcase. Yes, that could always happen, and I'm down for that. I get I more think- boombox Brock, and, you know, it's a Brock party. That's the uh, main reason that I would want that. I think it would be terrible for all of the competitors involved, but if we get boombox Brock again, like, have you seen the pictures of him recently? Yeah, we'd we- get Brock's ponytail. So, I mean, that's right. new boom, new boom in the business, and you don't want it. Yeah, I, that, that's true. You put him in front of the fans with that ponytail, like – Men be screaming, ladies be creaming. You know what I mean? Yeah, if the Young Bucks from two weeks ago and Brock Lesnar shared a segment, like, just print the money. No national yeah. deficit anymore, I don't think. Televisions would explode everywhere. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, no national deficit. <laughs> print money for America. Not for WWE, but print the money for America. All right. Uh, tell me your thoughts on AEW. Speaking of America, it starts with the letter A, and so does AEW. Shit's been hopping for a couple of weeks. We, <laughs> we, Great um, transition. We've been getting a lot of good stuff two weeks in a row. A couple of weeks of Sammy Guevara just being the premier athlete in the entire world. A couple of weeks of Hangman and Kenny Omega being the worst-dressed, best championship face-off possible. Uh, some good matches. And, man, did I have to bring up something. Christian and Matt Hardy had a really good match against each other. And it got me thinking, you know, every time when I do a match breakdown, I got to be like, this is how old everybody was. It matters to me, damn it. (laughs) Remember back in 1996, Age in a Cage, Halloween Havoc, Roddy Piper, Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Everybody's like, why would you book this match? These guys are ancient. Oh, my God, this is going to suck. It did. How old were they? (laughs) You, you, you want to take a guess? Well, I mean, you're setting me up to say that they were like 45 and 47 or something like that. 43 and 44. Okay. Hogan the Elder. Matt Hardy and Christian, 46 and 47, respectively. Now, what really stands out is that Matt Hardy and Christian are performing moves, doing bumps, doing all kind of things that Piper and Hogan probably never could have done much less at 43 and 44. But that really puts it into perspective how long those guys have been around, and especially Christian, who is still ageless at this point. I mean, he's got some snap in his movements. He's looking good. You know, they, mm, I've been pretty critical of Matt Hardy lately. I think he's running on fumes, but he looked good this week. Obviously, those guys have longstanding chemistry. That was a fun match, but I just wanted to put their ages into perspective. That blew my mind. Is Christian the Paul Rudd of wrestling? Fucking great analogy and great catchphrase by him a week ago. Get on my level. That's money, dude. I know that's not new. He didn't make that up, but that's a forgotten lyric. Yeah. Get on my level. I mean, why hasn't somebody used that? Yeah, I know. I, it's, it's been out there. Well, uh, I, I do want to going back to Hangman and Omega. I think they're building this match pretty much flawlessly. Uh, a perfect build so far. And, Congratulations to Kenny Omega for just fully committing to that beard. Everyone else was out, but Omega's like, I'm keeping it, man. Congratulations to him for that. Yeah, big congrats. I wouldn't say that they're building to it perfectly. I think that what is happening is good, but I wish that they would slow it down a little bit. I think they're just getting on with it. I mean, maybe they are going to book the match sooner than I would have thought. But I felt like there's a lot of things that could, you know, you could get little snippets and a lot of these segments that happen and these happenings could probably be stretched out over a couple of weeks just to give it a little bit of marinade. But uh, pretty good shit, though. I can't complain about what they're actually doing on camera. Well, I mean, they they talked about that five on five match and I got excited because I thought that was going to be for us next week, Me which is too. not. I was super excited about that. But instead, we'll probably get a segment with them, you know, I, I would hope and we'll get them. We'll get them there doing that. Um, and so like it may be a couple of weeks before uh, before that happens. So they have some time to stretch and then they do the five on five and then Omega can still like put some roadblocks and then Hangman's finally like 
you got to do it. Could be that way. I agree. I mean, I, I kind of wondered when they were going to book it. It doesn't seem like Fighter Fest Night 2 is all that stacked, but a lot can still happen. I think, you know, it's probably not happening next week, but um, yeah. Still well, all kind of good shit happening, wouldn't you say? Yeah, lots of good shit. I thought Malachi Black, you know, is, uh, I, I thought his promo in the back was a little too, it was a little too out of place because there's no one else, like, it felt very WWE because that was sort of his character and what he did. And there's no one that talks like that there. But I know, but like, if W, if he didn't do that in WWE, I'd probably be like, oh, this is cool. But the brawl that they had where he wasn't trying to be, I like the, I like the lights out thing. Like, I almost want him to just, his music hits and the lights go out and he's just in the ring sitting down. Like, if he came to the ring like that, I think that'd be great. I thought the brawl was great there. Um, coffin match I thought was fantastic. Ethan Page is going to be a top heel one of these days. Darby Allen uh, is going to be dead one of these days, but uh, he he killed it as well. Uh, I read a stat shortly before we went on the air. AEW hit 1 million viewers for Dynamite this week against an NBA Finals game. And of the four times this year that they've hit 1 million, Darby Allen main evented three of those. So he's interesting. He's got the pencil uh, to the paper and doing a little bit of drawing, if you know what I mean. Thanks, Sting. Uh, Also, uh, Crowd Heat was there. Good God, what an amazing crowd that was in Austin. Um, And if y'all couldn't pick up what we were putting down, we will be at the show in Dallas next week. So excited about that. We will bring that energy. I hope it's still there. I mean, we'll we'll get it going. We will get it. Get it on. Get it on. All right. Well, anything else you want to talk about? I want to talk about this match. All right. Well, let's get to our main event. Ladies and gentlemen, this contest set for one fall is for the WWE Championship. All right, it is main event time. It is CM Punk versus John Cena, Money in the Bank 2011. As mentioned, we are going to tell you definitively if it is, in fact, a classic match. And the way we are going to do that is by breaking it down with four different categories. The first one is storytelling. We are going to talk about how the story of the match went. Did it tell a good story? Um, Did it have good psychology, as some people say? Yeah, uh, how did could you understand what was going? Did they did they write the book from start to finish there and climax at the right time? The second category is atmosphere. Did you feel it on the inside? How was the crowd? How were the announcers? How was the heat? Uh, how did you feel? What was the emotions? The third category is execution. Uh, were there any botches? How cl- clean and crisp were the moves? Did anything that they did take you out of it? And finally, significance. Is, did it change the course of wrestling history? Was there something that was done in the match that had never been done before? Is there a reason why it is still talked about to this day? And should it still be talked about to this day? Those are our four categories. And we kick it over to you, D, to take us through the background of this match. Time for some buttery match, but breakdowns. That, that didn't make any sense, but alas. It was great. Thanks. 
Yes, this is Money in the Bank 2011. This took place in Rosemont, Illinois. Geez, I feel like every time we remember a city, they're like, no, it was a suburb. But it was on July 17th, 2011 in the All-State Arena. John Cena at this time is 34 years old. As I said, this is exactly 10 years ago. CM Punk, right behind him, 32. So these guys are definitely in their primes. When you hear Cena versus Punk, you remember probably that they've wrestled a million times. I don't know that there was a bigger, more hyped-up matchup than the one that we watched this time. This is during that ultra-hot, and I'm going to put an asterisk by that, because we take that for granted and we assume that it was hot because we remember it. I'm going to get a little deeper into that before night's end. But this was a pretty hot Summer of Punk storyline, and it all begins here. It becomes kind of more CM Punk versus Vince McMahon versus the WWE machine. And it's a little less about CM Punk versus John Cena and more about the bigger overall picture. So we're going to go back to June of that year. June 13th, 2011 is one of those million meetings I'm talking about between John Cena and CM Punk. And it took place on Raw. Punk at this time is actually the leader of the new Nexus that he became the leader of in December of the year before. David Otunga announced that the group was under new management with his sweet coffee thermos. And Punk ended up leading kind of a hodgepodge grouping of David Otunga, uh, the man who would eventually be Curtis Axel, the man who would eventually be the fucking fiend, Husky Harris, later Bray Wyatt, and that Batista lookalike without the cool theme, Mason Ryan. I'm in control here. And you're going to give me what I want. You know what it is. Give me what I want. You know what I want. I've been asking for it for years. You're going to give me what I want, or I'm going to continue to hurt people you love. Give me what I want. Give me what I want. Give me what I want. That's not what I want. I want you. That made up the new Nexus. There was another group that split off, led by Wade Barrett and some former members uh, over on the other brand. But this was your new Nexus, and Punk being their leader was pretty cool. But um, they pretty much didn't really get going and ended up being just kind of lackeys pretty quickly. At Survivor Series that year, Randy Orton managed to punt every single one of them, and a separation between them and Punk on television sort of began. The association eventually loosely disbanded, and around the time of this match, it was officially over. So Punk actually pins John Cena on this Raw on June 13th, and this was following a distraction by Punk's capital punishment opponent. That was the pay-per-view upcoming that month, R-Truth. Remember that? A a Cena R-Truth main event for the title. It happened. So, But because of this win... Obviously, the brash punk started dubbing himself the best in the world. Of course, he could call himself that. He just pinned the 10-time WWE champion John Cena, right? Well, anyway, Capital Punishment was June 19th. Cena dispatched of R-Truth, believe it or not, and Punk defeated Rey Mysterio in a singles match by pinning him clean. The Nexus members were barred from ringside, so we had less and less involvement of them, as I mentioned before. I do want to mention that uh, it was sort of a big shock that Truth uh, was defeated by John Cena because if you remember, that is when he brought his best friend, Little Jimmy, to to the dance. And Little Jimmy there, you know, he was trying to interfere, doing all he could. And 
you know, first appearance of little Jimmy and our truth just couldn't get it done. So uh, sad day for all our, all us truthers out there. Poor small James. Picking up where we left off, Raw on June 20th would feature a number one contenders match for the WWE Championship. This time it would be Punk against Rey Mysterio and Alberto Del Rio in a triple threat match, and Punk was victorious. From there, we get rumblings of Punk's unhappiness, burnout, and just overall despair as a member of the WWE roster. That's hot off the presses. That's in the dirt sheets. He's becoming pretty vocal about it. And all this while he's steamrolling towards a possible WWE Championship match. So to make things even more interesting, Punk, after winning that match, announces that he, the new number one contender, had a contract expiring on midnight of July 17th, 2011, which is the Money in the Bank pay-per-view that we're talking about today. So he vowed that he would win the WWE Championship and that he would leave with it. Pro wrestling world at this point is pretty set ablaze. Monday Night Raw continued on the next week, kind of in a mundane fashion for a little while. We had the anonymous general manager whole deal going on at that time. He ends up saddling Punk with a real punishment match. He had to fight Kane at the end of the night. Your normal stuff. Um, HBK was on the show, announced that he had a new hunting and fishing show coming up. But we did get some pretty cool interaction between HBK and CM Punk, which led to HBK super kicking the goons, a.k.a. the new Nexus around the ring. And that's, you know, pretty much all they were good for at this time. Well, Punk's smart enough to get counted out and just kind of avoid much action with the big red machine. And he comes with some absolute gasoline to end the night. We got John Cena and R-Truth in the main event one more time in a tables match. R-Truth able to get that job back against Cena because Punk interferes. But Raw wasn't in there. Pretty soon thereafter, this is when we get that pipe bomb. CM Punk, now wearing a throwback Stone Cold Steve Austin shirt, grabs a mic, goes to the top of the stage, sits Indian style. We all remember it. He started breaking that fourth wall, talking to the camera, and this was pretty much an official airing of his grievances. He got carte blanche to go out there and just do his thing. And do his thing he did. He mentioned Colt Cabana, Ring of Honor, The Rock, Brock Lesnar, Paul Heyman, wished that Vince McMahon was dead, but then digressed because the company would be run by his idiot daughter and doofus son-in-law. Took about five minutes of pure gold before his mic was cut off. And things were a little crazy in the wrestling world, like I said. So if you thought it was crazy that he mentioned that he had a contract expiring, contract expiring when his uh, WWE championship match would end on Sunday, how about that pipe bomb? ESPN has written articles about this night. It is a familiar scene, I think, that we can all remember. And I think that caused the frenzy that was building around this match to grow exponentially right then and there. You have to remember at this time, The Rock versus John Cena is already announced for WrestleMania. Here we are in June. So WrestleMania 27 just happened in April. And we already know that The Rock and Cena have agreed to face each other at WrestleMania 28 in 2012. And Punk's contract expiring? It's not fake. It is expiring. So none of us really know what's going on, what's real, what's not. And as you know, that usually leads to some pretty hot business. Um, Backstage news actually would state that Punk had to work out a two-day extension to make it through that pay-per-view, and they hadn't even figured out what they were going to do for the finish of the match that we're about to talk about when the pay-per-view was going on. So pretty crazy shit going on about this time. 
After Punk's pipe bomb, his storyline suspended immediately. His Twitter gets unverified. They take the little blue check away to give it some realism. And the next week, we get a taped draw on July 4th, which features John Cena just being your just being John Cena. Um, it's July 4th, so he supports Punk's right to, uh, in a very patriotic way, supports Punk's right to say what he said, even though he doesn't agree with it. And John Cena wants Punk to be reinstated, and he still wants him to get his match at Money in the Bank. Vince McMahon agrees, but decides that if John Cena loses, that he's going to be fired. I don't know that anybody could suspend their disbelief that much. So what's real, what's not real, thinking that John Cena is going to be fired, a little too much to ask, but still pretty good in storyline fashion. The wrestling world's electric now, baby. Mainstream television starts covering this. They're getting mentioned all over the place. And then it gets announced that on the next Raw, Punk's going to open it. He probably didn't need to fan the flames. They're already high enough, but he did so anyway. Cena tried to confront him, but Punk quickly uh, has him on assignment to fight some of his goons in a handicap match to keep him busy. Punk decides now he's going to set up a live contract negotiation with Vince McMahon to end the night. And boy, did it. He demands an apology, to which McMahon agrees. He demands a better apology, to which which McMahon agrees and adds a you son of a bitch to. He wants a jet. He wants late night appearances. He wants ice cream bars, among many other things. And it looks like Vince McMahon is about to begrudgingly just agree to all that stuff. And then Cena gets involved once again. He decides to tell Punk that Punk's lost sight of what's important in the business. And Punk quickly cuts up, quickly cuts him off and tells him, no, that it's he who's lost sight. In a very memorable promo, he tells that he tells Cena that he's a dynasty now, that he's become everything that he hates. He's a corporate ass kicker and he's no longer ass kisser and he's no longer the underdog. He's the Boston Red Sox. Nope. They're not the Boston Red Sox anymore. They're the New York Yankees. Well, Cena's not going to take some baseball analogy messing on his beloved baseball team. So that's enough for him to punch CM Punk right in the face. You know, he could take all the other stuff, but don't you call the Red Sox the Yankees. He's not going to deal with that. That caused CM Punk to roll out of the ring, rip up the contract, and he says that Sunday you can say goodbye to the WWE Championship, you can say goodbye to John Cena, and you can say goodbye to CM Punk. Whew. So like I said, we don't even have a deal in place for Punk. None of us know what's going on heading into this match, even as the show began, and it was in mid-show. And this is in Chicago, so don't forget about that. CM Punk's hometown. You can cut the tension with a knife. Here we go. Here we go, indeed. Great background, as always, there. Um, and, you know, uh, hate to correct you. We're in Rosemont here, Daniel, not in Chicago. So, uh, you know, yeah, it's very okay, important. Okay, let's redo that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, let's rewind it back. All right, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. On the call, we've got Jerry the King Lawler, Michael Cole, and Booker T. Uh, The future of WWE has been put on notice here. Punk is out first to a unsurprisingly loud and insane reaction. Um, I realize that this is the last time that we hear that we will hear Punk's kill switch engage theme because when he reemerges after this, that's when he goes back goes to uh cult of personality uh he wipes his hand on the ground as he always does and screams to the heavens it's clobbering time 
We got some fans singing his music. He makes his way to the ring. He's egging on the. He sits down. He's egging on the fans. He somehow bypasses the "I Heart Brutus Beefcake" sign, which was there for whatever reason. The music stops. Punk, CM Punk's chant start again. He sits down. He gets up. He gets the crowd amped up. The the crowd is into this. Uh, we also get to see a sign that says CM Punk is going to Muay Thai kick Cena so hard he is going to explode into billions of fruity pebbles. Yes. That was on one standard size sign. Cena's music hits and the booing is deafening. And when I say deafening, I mean literally you can't hear his music very well with the crowd booing um, booing him the second he comes out. Cena stoically is walking calmly straight to the ring. No showboating. He knows he's in enemy territory. He raises the belt with his head down. Uh, and the crowd boos. Polk, Punk, excuse me, is handing is hanging out. Ugh, let's try that sentence again. Punk is hanging out with Colt Cabana, who happens to be in the front row out there, who will get a couple of Colt Cabana chants throughout this match. Stoic face the whole time. We get our intros by Justin Roberts. We get some CM Punk chants immediately as both men look at each other. Both look nervous, but ready. Both guys did look nervous. This was... Super big fight feel going on. You know, I really hated CM Punk's facial hair. He decided to shave his beard, I guess, and then was in the process of growing it back and cut a line. It looked like Kevin Nash one time said that he looked like a short order cook at a Waffle House. And tonight, he certainly did. Um, My favorite part of John Cena's entrance was that there was some schmo trying to make the show all about him, dressed in Cena gear head to toe, wearing a huge sign that said, Cena, meet Cena. And he did kind of look like John Cena. John Cena no-sold the shit out of that guy. Never looked at him, threw his shirt right next to him to someone else, and like never looked at him at all. And you could watch the guy's demeanor just kind of sink into our friend Danny's levels after an Orton loss as the match went on. Yeah, he. I saw that sign. I saw that guy, and Cena did just completely no-sell him. Um, Cole, before the bell rings, is doing a great job of listing all the champions and building why the title is important as well to, to do the big fight feel. The bell rings and they start to feel each other out Um, and they feel each other out for a long time. There's some wrestling. There's a couple of headlocks They will, they will get an arm drag here or there and then stare at each other for a little bit. You know, Cena will get a headlock on, get a shoulder tackle uh, and then we'll get another headlock takeover. And again, they'll just sort of get breakaway and stare at each other a little bit. They'll keep going to holds. I mean, there's there's probably a good five minutes of this. Now, the whole time, the crowd is chanting, starts by chanting, you can't wrestle at Cena. Then we get some C- CM Punk, let's go Cena chants. All the women and children are chanting, let's go Cena. Um, they're about maybe like one quarter of the crowd, and the other 75% of the crowd chants CM Punk. Um, and, you know, they, they trade – they both get each other on their shoulders, and there's a but they both get down as if they were going to hit their finishers, and there's a stalemate again. Lots of stalemates that are going on. We do get one spot where Punk throws Cena into the turnbuckle, and Cena takes it chest first and just sort of flops down. Um, that was a little little weird. We do get Cena hitting a vicious clothesline on Punk, which Punk like spit, but it looked like a tooth flew out, and he sort of sold like a tooth did. That was pretty good. Um, and then we get to a point to where uh, Punk goes for a power bomb. 
Cena pushes him into the corner and whips him across, and Cena hits a falling fisherman buster suplex, uh, which was a, a good-looking move. He goes for the AA, Punk drops, hits a kick to the gut, and then a DDT. Punk goes into a head triangle from there, another hold. So a nice little sequence, but then they go back into that sort of um, almost the face-face style wrestling to where neither are really playing true heel and, and neither are really playing true face. It was a little slow, a little methodical, but I thought they did a good job with their body language and with their facial expressions. It seemed like neither guy wants to make a mistake. There's a lot on the line here. Obviously, this is going to be a long match, and Cena was staying on Punk like white on rice. If he went for a pin and didn't get it, he would jump and grab a headlock, uh, specifically for Charles Brumfield, because that's how you should be able to finish any match. Um, but... I don't know. The rest holds, they were definitely a plenty, but it did come off like each guy was just making sure to try and wrestle their perfect match and leave no opening for the other. Correct. Uh, And so we started to get our first little bit of opening. Cena stands up with Punk sort of on his shoulders out of the triangle. Punk drops behind and sort of uh, throws Cena to the outside. As he gets out there, Punk gives Colt Cabana a low five, we have that anonymous raw GM podium sighting. Um, Sink S- Punk <laughs> puts Cena. Sink puts Pina. Uh, Punk puts Cena on the apron uh, and sort of have his head leading off uh, over the outside. And he goes to the middle rope and hits a jumping knee to the back of Cena's head, um, which of course garners a Colt Cabana chant at that point. Uh, Cole does a good job of talking about Cena's neck and the surgery there. Uh, Cena rolls in and we get a two count. Punk whips Cena into the turnbuckle uh, and then runs at Cena, but Cena moves and Punk posts himself and time stands still for a moment. Um, It's like they just both stopped. It was a little weird. It did give us this great exchange between Booker T and Jerry Lawler where Booker says, I want to tell you, this is, I can't do it with my voice right now. He tells him, I want, this is about the WWE championship. And Lawler goes, really? Like an asshole. Pure asshole, Lawler. Uh, that was very funny to me. Let me tell you something, guys. This tonight right here, this is about the WWE championship. Let me tell you all really? a little bit of something about this championship. That then led into, and I had forgotten about this, Michael Cole and Jerry Lawler are not very far removed from their match at WrestleMania where Michael Cole went full heel for an, almost a year and was a big thorn in Jerry's side. Booker T is putting over how prestigious the WWE championship is. And it's the one title that eluded him in his career. And he's one of the most decorated wrestlers of all time. And then Michael also fresh off of some of his famous, look at, look at, look at, look at says he looked, he looks right over at Jerry and says like, Hey Jerry, you never won the WWE championship. Did you? Pretty snide remark, and uh, he gets back. He's getting back into just regular Michael Cole, no longer a heel, but he had to sprinkle a little heel dust on there, and that was that was pretty funny to hear. That was funny. I mean, that that's time standing still. At least gave them that that fill time. But we do get the look at look at look at look at. Um, we're seeing it goes back to Punk. Punk shoves him off, hits a couple of clotheslines, and then back to another headlock, back to another rest hold. Uh, Cena gets him up. Uh, and throws Punk to the corner. Cena runs after him, eats a boot. Then Punk hops to the top rope and then does a flying, cro- turning crossbody onto Cena, 
lands sort of awkwardly, uh, and they get there's a pin attempt, but Cena immediately sells his knee and rolls to the apron. Like it looked like in replay that Punk really did just land directly on top of Cena's knee. So I can imagine that that wasn't just selling for the match, that that did actually get to him. And you know, they did mention it a couple of times in the match. The announcers did a good job of mentioning how that may affect Cena and, and how he performed that night. Punk goes to get him uh, while Cena's on the apron and suplex him from outside in. But Cena reverses and suplex Punk over the top ropes from inside to the outside onto the floor, which was uh, a little brutal in theory. But Cena did a great job of putting his hand on Punk's chest and sort of twisting him enough to where he took a nice solid back bump. So that was good. Uh, Cena still selling his knee rolls punk in for a two count. And we get another jumping fisherman buster by Cena. Uh, he goes off the ropes hits a f- and runs off the ropes, then just hits a jumping falling elbow, which was uh, interesting. Uh, then Cena gets punk up, puts punk over his left shoulder. Like he was, you know, carrying away a damsel in distress. Punk falls off. Cena gets him back up again in the in like an AA and then twists him back in that damsel in distress position and then flips Punk over and slams him down. And that it was, was like so little, weird. It was like he, it was a little miscommunication. Yeah, when he got him up on the first shoulder, to me it looked like Cena realized like I have him on the wrong shoulder and I'm not going to be able to do the move that I want to do. So Cena stands there, Punk being a pro, after about 10 seconds is like, okay, I'm going to reverse this. I'm not just going to sit here. And then they just repeat the spot, but get on the right shoulder. Correct. Um, So slams him down. They get back up. We get some booyays, booyays um, with Punk getting getting the advantage. Uh, Then Cena throws Punk off the ropes after this and locks in a off-the-ropes abdominal stretch. We get ourselves uh, another hold. uh, But Punk rakes his eyes, gets a hip toss, and we have a double clothesline and a double down. And time stands still a little bit. Crowd going nuts, though. Crowd is eating everything up. Um, they are super into this. Um, you know, they're on their feet. That you can tell that they're just they want to pay attention to everything that's happening. So they both get up slowly. Cena goes off the ropes, uh, hits a flying shoulder tackle, and goes for a suplex. But Punk flips over. He goes for his his AA, but not his AA. He goes for the the uh, five moves of Doom suplex. Punk flips flips over, sort of lands awkwardly, but gets up quickly and pushes Cena to the corner. Punk runs in for his running knee knee lift, but Cena moves uh, and then hits his finally hits that actual suplex. He calls for the five knuckle shuffle. He looks down at Punk, but Punk kicks him square in the face. Punk gets up quick. Uh, he runs to the ropes, does a running jump push into Cena to shove Cena to the outside, and then. Runs to the ropes and hit a hits a very fast suicide dive, much to the delight of the crowd. Punk even gives his mom a little high five after he hits that dive. Oh, he does, and like he gives the high five and then sells. Like he holds it up, she gets high five and then sells. Uh, they get back in the ring and Punk start. Uh, Cena rolls back in the ring, excuse me, and Punk's on the apron. He's laying in wait, ready to do a springboard cross body attempt, but he misses. And then Cena goes and immediately hits the five knuckle shuffle. Cena then goes up, gets Punk up for an AA. He tries to hit it, 
but Punk doesn't flip all the way over and actually lands on his ass, but he gets up quickly. He punches Cena a little bit. He kicks Cena. He gets a leg sweep and then covers Cena after this leg sweep. But only gets a two count, but the crowd's into it. CM Punk chance. So Punk goes to lift Cena, gets him on his shoulders for the, for the GTS, but Cena falls off behind him and hits a gut ridge suplex. Cole's yelling, come on, John, you got him here. Cole is now goes from unbiased to completely biased in the favor of John Cena. We have a great sequence here where Cena sets up Punk for another AA. Then Punk falls off behind him, pushes Cena to the ropes. He runs after him with a running knee. He hits another running knee, like nailing Cena square in the face, then hits a bulldog. Punk goes to the apron, hits his springboard crossbody, and gets a nice two-and-a-half count there. They replay Punk blasting Cena in the face a bunch of times. He just need him in the face legit. Like 100%. Uh, Punk gets some kicks to Cena's chest. Cena gets up, ducks a head, uh, head kick, grabs Punk's legs, and puts him in the STF. This is the first time Punk has been put in this move in the match. After all the rest holds of breaking him down, he does get the STF in there, the move that Cena knows so well. Punk is trying to crawl to the ropes, trying to crawl. The crowd is cheering, cheering him on, and Cena, or excuse me, and Punk finally gets there, and the crowd pops hard. Cena goes to grab Punk, who shoves him off, and then hits a head kick to Cena and gets a slow two count there. The crowd is cheering, cheering it on. Another, this is probably my favorite sequence of the match right here. Punk goes to the top rope. He goes, he hits a crossbody, but Cena rolls through. He goes for the AA, gets gets Punk up. No, Punk falls behind him. He lifts up Cena for the GTS. He then heaves Cena up in the air, throws the knee, but Cena catches the knee and reverses into an STF. Punk is near the ropes. And he's grabbing and reaching and grabbing and reaching. And Cena sees how close he is. And he starts pulling Punk to the middle and locks the SCF back on. Now Punk's in the middle of the ring in this move. Punk is squirming as much as he can. And he gets his arm underneath Cena's arm. And he fights out. And he counters into the Anaconda Vice. Now the Vice is on. The crowd is going nuts. Punk is rearing back. His eyes are wide. Cena starts to get to his feet. He lifts Punk up and hits a quick AA to hit it. He rolls over. One, two, shoulder up. Punk gets his shoulder up, and the crowd explodes, and they are both down. The ref starts to count here. Cena goes up, and he decides he's going to go to the top. As he's going up there, you can see he's setting up for that sort of top rope famesser, that leg drop to the back of the head of the sort of standing opponent that he does. He goes to hit it. But Punk grabs him and turns it into sort of a sloppy powerbomb. Their timing was off there, but Punk did catch him and throw him down. Punk starts to feel the crowd. He's cheering him on. Loud CM Punk chants are, are, are going, and Punk signals for the GTS. He tells, that, he tells the crowd he's going to put John to sleep. Punk starts limping, selling being hurt, and lifts Cena up, but Cena's too close to the ropes. So Cena pulls himself off Punk, lands on the apron, and then he grabs Punk and pulls his neck down on the top rope. Cena gets quickly back up to the top turnbuckle, hits that top rope famouser, and gets a near fall. 
Cena looks at the crowd and just sort of smirks. He chuckles. He says, what can I do to put this guy away? Cena gets up. He walks to the corner. He sort of shadow boxes a little bit. He's contemplating what to do. He's thinking, you know, what, what, what will put Punk down? And he starts measuring Punk. Punk slowly starts to get to his feet. Cena knows what he's going to do. He grab, grabs Punk, gets him on his shoulders, flips him over, and hits another attitude adjustment. And that's it. The crowd knows it. Everyone knows it. One, two, no. Punk kicks out. Cena, in disbelief, uncharacteristically, goes after the ref, asking him, was it two? Was it two? Cena doesn't understand what's going on. He is in he is in full unsure of himself mode. There's loud, loud CM Punk chants at this point. Cena pushes Punk to the corner. He lifts Punk up on the top turnbuckle. Punk is selling like he's he's out. Cena looks like he's going for that avalanche AA. But as soon as he gets up there, Punk, the wily veteran, starts nailing Cena with elbows to the back of the head. Elbow after elbow after elbow. Then Punk sort of wraps around Cena, gets in front of him, and hits a top rope Hurricane Rana. Punk, sensing that this is his time, pulls his knee pad down. And he's limping a little bit, but he hits a running knee on Cena in the corner. Punk lifts Cena up kisses towards the camera and hits the GTS. Amazing. The crowd's going nuts, but unfortunately Cena was right near the ropes and he falls through the middle ropes. Punk desperately grasping at him to try and keep Cena in the ring. Punk goes to the outside and pushes Cena in and out comes Vince McMahon and John Laurinaitis. Those bastards. Punk stares them down at the ramp. He stares him down for a while and finally rolls in the ring. The second he gets in the ring, Cena, playing a little possum, grabs Punk's leg and locks in the STF. And Vince immediately starts calling for the bell. Shades of Survivor Series 97. Uh, He's all the way at the top of the ramp, so the timekeeper can't see him. So he sends John Laurinaitis to go tell him. As John Laurinaitis is running to the timekeeper, Cena breaks the STF, rolls out of the ring, and fucking nails John Laurinaitis hard in the face and says, a real man's going to win this fight. He doesn't want to win that way. He didn't want to win cheap. He goes over to the ramp. He looks at Vince McMahon and points to him and tells him he's not going to win that way. He's yelling at Vince, yelling at Vince. Feels like he made his point. So he turns around. He gets in the ring. And as soon as he gets in the ring, Punk grabs him, lifts him up, hits the GTS. One, two, three. Your winner and new champion, CM Punk. And the crowd is going crazy. This is the Red Sox winning at Fenway. This is, you know, the Bears winning at Soldier Field. This is Punk, the hometown boy, winning the title. And presumably, leaving with it, and leaving the WWE. After the match, Punk starts taunting Vince. Vince looks on in disbelief. He can't believe what happened. Vince goes over to the announcer's desk, grabs Lawler's headset right off his head, and yells at them to cut the music. And he demands that Alberto Del Rio, who won the Money in the Bank briefcase, run out right then and there to cash in. Del Rio, after a minute or so, starts sprinting down to the ring, ready to do what the boss said. He gets in, and Punk immediately kicks him in the head and knocks Alberto out. 
Punk decides it's time to go. He goes to the outside and he's about to leave through the crowd. And he sits on the top of the uh, top of the barricade. He turns to Vince and in the, one of the most iconic wrestling pictures blows a kiss at Vince as he's about to head out and leaves through the crowd. Fantastic bit of storytelling there. And you did a great job of breaking her down. I enjoyed that um, kind of blow by blow of the match. You did a great job of summarizing because, I mean, that match was 33 minutes. It was long. A lot happened. And especially when we got to the end, the emotion was running high. It was uh, it was a sight to see. A sight to see indeed. But now it's time for us to decide, was it actually a classic? And we start with storytelling. I'm going to toss it over to you, D. I'm going to be able to debate you pretty hardcore on some of the categories of our four, but not storytelling. The storytelling here is probably the easiest, even easier than the atmosphere. To me, the storytelling was fantastic. You just got done talking about the post-match angle, which was story rich. I mean, you've got Vince McMahon and Johnny Ace walking down. That was pretty insane as far as like we're flexing some corporate muscle here. It's an iconic end and a moment that we'll never forget. But in the match itself, John Cena was in rare form. His storytelling cap was on. He did such a great job with his facial expressions. And there were so many times which you talked about in your breakdown where he's looking back and forth, being very calculating about his next move. I talked about earlier how it seemed like any time he would go for a pin, if it didn't work out, he needed to jump on a hold. There might have been too many holds, but he had a reason for almost any of them that he was doing besides that fucking abdominal stretch. That being said, um, he and Punk were really painting a picture here for everybody. Their facials were on point. Everything that was on the line was well, dis- you know, they put the physical, they they were physically telling the story that we had been anticipating for so long. And I think they did a great job of it. I, I really don't think you can debate on the storytelling very much. It was fantastic. Uh, I agree. I, I mean, I, there's not much more to say. I mean, it, it there was so much for them to pull from of everything that happened. Like that's the thing, Uh, you know, great storytelling in a match starts from the storytelling building up to that match. And they had the history, they had what was going on for both men. They had um, what they had to go in and pull off and they did uh, an amazing job with it. So I'm with you. I am thumbs up a Roo on storytelling. You had punk high five and his mom and John Cena, like, kind of flipping out and going after the ref for God's sake. I mean, it, story rich, that's for sure. All right. Atmosphere, uh, obviously a thumbs down. Just kidding. Obviously a thumbs up. To me, this was the easiest of the categories because that crowd was hot for punk from start to finish. I mean, and they weren't, it wasn't those distracting chants. We even had the, the Cena fans trying to get into it and root Cena on, even though it was the women and children, you know, they were, and they were hot. The, even when they weren't chanting, they were still into what was going on and popping for near falls. And of course uh, the explosion at the end for the, for the title change. I mean, when punk's music hit before punk's music hit, there were CM Punk chants. The second the video package ended, the CM Punk chant started. And the and then, you know, at the end, that was the loudest they had been all night. So, uh, and the announcers, I thought, did a pretty solid job. You know, I thought, 
Booker T was on more than he normally is. And so I thought, you know, we got a good Booker T and we had our usual Cole and Lawler. So, uh, you know, definitely weren't a distraction. They weren't the best they've ever been, but overall atmosphere thumbs up. Yeah, I could almost give it a thumbs up for Booker T's constant awes alone. I mean, he's so fun in there. The commentary was solid. I don't think that was classic level commentary, but yeah. they certainly didn't take away from the match. They were good. Um, they provided good analysis, but that crowd, that crowd was next level. I mean, when you have a storyline that these guys created that the company put forth and you can create that kind of anticipation, it's something special. Uh, the post-match angle that, you know, we were all sitting on the edge of our seats, Vince McMahon forcing a cash in at the end. I mean, you just really wondered what the hell was going to happen here. The stakes were high and that's a truly great it makes for a truly great atmosphere and that's what we had here 100 percent. all right execution what do you think this is where uh the wheels fall off for me to me you've got two famously clunky workers both very good workers punk is a little higher on himself than i am cena a very you know capable worker who's been involved in a lot of classics when you put them together they've had really great matches and they've had good matches to me this was a good match but the li- i mean the list of botches is is pretty big the match that you said you know there were periods where it drug really bad i felt like cena would just do moves that he had planned at points we mentioned him repeating the spot because he really wanted to do that power slam but he needed to be on the correct shoulder that abdominal stretch was really out of place for me um, Cena just to me has a tendency sometimes to make things look a little too choreographed. He's known he was going to do these things. And even if they don't flow so well, he's going to do them anyway. And punk tends to try and do moves that he's not a good enough athlete to do. There were two different occasions in the match where he tried to backflip out of something and just fall straight on his ass. Um, he decided that he was going to try and reverse Cena's jumping leg drop into a power bomb. Like Cena outweighs you by 60 pounds. You'll never be able to do that. You'll just have to fall backwards and just kind of push him down. I mean, I guess he doesn't hit the leg drop, but it's just not something that you should do. It took him probably two and a half minutes, it seemed like, to jump up and do a Hurricane Rana. Um, ah, you know, we had that bad landing on the cross body. GTS to the belly button that we had to, you know, create so much drama around, but it just wasn't hit very well. I had, sometimes I have to sit down and decide like, what am I really trying to say yes or no on in our categories? You do a good job of explaining what we're talking about, but we can really blur those lines. It's hard to give a thumbs down, but I had to focus this time on, did it seem choreographed? If a match is going to be a classic in all categories, if it's going to have classic level execution, it needs to look real. It needs to look like it flows. It needs to look like this is an actual tussle between guys. And these guys just came up short there for me. So I am famously in the mindset that this was not a five-star match to me. You know, the atmosphere and a lot was and a lot was there. You if you include everything as a whole, you know, I would call it, you know, maybe like a five-star moment or a five-star, you know, point in time. And I and I super enjoyed it when I watched it, thought it was really fun. 
But I remember being surprised when Maeve, Maeve Delter gave it five stars. I remember being surprised when people talked about it as a five-star match. And I feel like in the rewatch, I was justified because there were, there were so many things that took me out of the match. Like when we got to hold, rest hold number 36 or whatever it was, the spots that you mentioned, like it, those those took you out. I mean, it took me out of the match. It made me go as opposed to being like, Oh wow. Uh, that was just like, that was weird. And you shouldn't be saying that in a classic level execution match. Um, and so I'm with you, you know, I, I would give it, I would give it a thumbs down. Um, you know, because I mean, outside of this podcast, very fun match, but we're looking at classic level execution. And so that that's where the thumbs down comes in. And so I, I, uh, I feel justified as to why when I left that match, I was like, what a great moment, but man, that match was sloppy and man, that match was sloppy. I agree with that. They delivered in so many ways, but the execution is not the cream of the crop. We're trying to say is each of these four categories is this top level. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the last category is significance. And uh, I will say, I think the significance here is, is a thumbs up. I think this is sort of top level significance because you've got, you've got so many iconic moments wrapped into one story here between the pipe bomb and punk's build. And then the, the, the blow and the kiss to Vince McMahon, you've got the crowd, which is, this is one of the most, just like sort of with Hogan rock, where you remember the crowd, you remember the crowd at this one as well. Um, it was a, uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily a turning point in either man's career, you know, so I think that that maybe knocks a little bit. But I think when it, when you look at, you know, what happened in wrestling history and I mean, it's it is Punk's most iconic moment in all of wrestling. It's the thing that you remember him the most for um, the pipe bomb and then what followed it. So I. Uh, I think that it's super memorable and people pull this match out because of the crowd, because of that. Uh, and I think it's a, a thumbs up to significance. I'm going to throw a little shade there. Um, I'm not going to act like there's no debating if this is significant or not. I like what you said there, that this may be punk's biggest moment in wrestling. To me, his biggest moment was the pipe bomb itself. I think if anyone thinks about the biggest thing that he ever did, it's that promo. And that's a promo on raw. This is the follow-up to that. And like I said, hey, they created a story that had us all sitting on the edge of our seat. Maeve Delser gave this five stars, and so did I upon initial viewing because I was completely captivated by the story. And then the way that the the post-match angle played out, I mean, it was just – it was riveting television. And you can't you can't take that away from them. You, you can't just have two guys go out there, even if they are – the best in the world and create that kind of thing. There was magic out here that night. So before I went and watched this again, of course I'm doing my research and I looked this kind of thing up and I, and I noticed that there have been articles written obviously because it's the 10 year anniversary, but even before that ESPN did an article on it, a long article and they, you know, peek behind the curtain on some of the backstage stuff going on. Super interesting read. And what I noticed is that everyone talking about it, even ESPN, they treat this being this big, hot business revolutionizing, you know, uh, money making angle as a statement of fact. 
And so I wanted to dig a little deeper. In no way did I do some exhaustive research here, but you saw how packed the house was. I think it was around 15,000 people were in that arena. They were hot. They sold tickets. I'm sure they had a fantastic gate. I bet t-shirts and concession sales were out the wazoo. I'm sure the dub made some money on that. So I wondered, okay, I wonder what kind of monster buy rate this dusted up. This had to be four or 500,000 buys, you know, like an upper echelon pay-per-view, even though money in the bank at this time was certainly not known as that. This got 195,000 buys. Okay. Well, let's say I attribute that to the angle was catching fire right now. And we all know that this would continue on through SummerSlam and you'd end up having a punk and Cena rematch where they try and unify the belts. How many uh, buys did that get? About 250,000. What's crazy about that statistic is that SummerSlam 2010, a year before it, did 100,000 more buys than 2012 did. And SummerSlam uh, the following year, which uh, ends up having Brock Lesnar wrestling Triple H, it does 100,000 more buys than this SummerSlam rematch. So, what? I mean, how much money did this make? And what we end up having here is you've got a storyline when they try to create some intrigue where they're, you know, if John Cena loses, he's fired. John Cena is your WWE champion, sort of unofficially, two weeks later. He and Punk, instead of draw, dragging this out, and Punk is gone for months, and you know, since you're going to create an interim belt anyway, why don't you have Punk be gone and, and do something creative? They shoehorned this into a rematch a month later. And none of us, I don't even know if, most wrestling fans off the top of their head can remember who won or kind of what happened. But I can tell you what happened at WrestleMania, John Cena and the rock CM Punk was your champion. He wrestled Chris Jericho. Wasn't that big of a deal. John Cena, and the rock was still your main event. You ended up having two years of CM Punk being champion face and heel, but not being the guy. So it's that classic. We give Eddie Guerrero a championship. We give Chris Benoit a championship, but they're not really the main event. It's Hogan, it's Cena, it's Rock, it's the real main event guys, even though you're cha- you're the champion, you know, but we're going to use the belt to elevate you and you're still not going to be the guy. There was a whole lot of that happening. The commentary in this match mentioned, you know, you had kind of a callback to Survivor Series 97 because Vince McMahon was going to try to ring the bell. They rehashed that angle one year later at Survivor Series 98 deadly game for the Rock's first title win. They re- I know they've rehashed it several times. WCW tried to do it. No one ever talks about those. This is like the first mention you get of this being, you know, oh, it's like a Montreal screw job again. And the reason why I bring that up is because this angle kind of becomes that too. It's an angle where you remember that it happened, but it doesn't really stand the test of time. The moment where CM Punk kisses and waves goodbye stands the test of time. It's a classic moment. Is this match significant? I'm on the fence. So, yeah, I threw a lot of shade at it. I don't like where it ended up, and we do like to talk about what happened from here. The pipe bomb is huge. The aftermath of this match is huge. It's definitely a classic moment, but we've talked many times about classic moments happening in matches. I bring it up all the time. For God's sakes, we did not dub Lesnar, Eddie Guerrero, and Eddie Guerrero's first title and only title world title win. It wasn't a classic match. I'm not sure that this is either. Whether it's significant or not, I'm kind of on the fence. And so now I'm on the fence for two categories. So I think we've got an interesting final thoughts and decision to make here. 
Thank you for your thoughts there. Let me there respond. Were, there was a lot of them. Let me respond with a lot to unpack. Let me respond with the punk blowing the kiss moment doesn't happen without this match. You know, the, the pipe bomb helped the story of the match. So without the pipe bomb, the match isn't as good, but the, the match led directly to that. The buys, I sort of see your point, but you know, like office space, big Lebowski, you know, the office at the beginning, like there, there are things that don't do well and then end up being there in lore. And you started by saying a lot of mainstream media covered this match. How often does that happen? Like that's pretty significant. That's how significant it was to me. You know, how it was. And like, again, it's, it's a, so that means that it's a moment. What Eddie's title win didn't have that. So this is a moment that, you know, a casual fan or someone who may not know wrestling, you know, would have known because of, because of all of that. So it, it, it gets my thumbs up there. So I'm going to go with my overall thoughts. Um, you know, in, in the, in the look back, the match was not, it was not a five-star worked match. Everything that happened around the match was fantastic. The emotion was great. It was definitely five-star emotion and five-star edge of your seat. And, you know, uh, the moments stand the test of time. And to your point, does the match stand the test of time? Um, and that's really what we're going to have to decide on whether or not it's a classic is does the, does the match itself, you know, does it pass our top 100, if you will? You know, I talked about with, um, I talked about with rock Hogan, where you really got to explain to it's for the fans, you know, was this for the fans or was this a classic wrestling match? And I don't know that you can say definitively which way it was. Um, but you know, it was good to, it was good to revisit. It was good to see again, you know, uh, that, that pipe bomb will live in infamy, that kiss blow will live in infamy and seeing how they got there from start to finish is definitely anything that any wrestling fan, if they haven't watched it or experienced like wrestling one one part of it is this story. All right. What are your overall thoughts? This is a classic moment in WWE history. This match was pretty good, but you know, Instead of just being all negative about it, that sequence, I mean, the roll through crossbody into the AA, into the GTS, into the STF, into the vice, uh, into the AA for the near fall, that was choice. That was probably the, yeah, choice. That was probably the hottest the match got. Unfortunately, we had about eight more minutes after that. They did succeed. They had a tall task in front of them. To create a story with that much hype, you're in Chicago. What the hell is about to happen? They delivered on entertainment. I'm not so sure, though, that if I'm saying, is this one of the top 100 best matches ever? It's definitely one of the top 100 wrestling moments ever. I don't think it was one of the top 100 best matches ever. Well, since it was my pick, I get to make the determination on behalf of the podcast. So uh, I'm going to need you to team me up here. Chad, we loved watching this. We loved this moment. This is some big time shit. And we're both sitting on the fence. We are both sitting on the fence and you can't deny that. 
Ultimately, though, it's up to you, sir. Would you go out on a limb here and say that CM Punk John Cena Money in the Bank 2011 is a classic yes or no? I've played back our feedback. I've reviewed the footage. I have consulted uh, all the pertinent people to consult. And at the end of the day, it is not a classic. Son of a bitch. Jesus Christ. Fuck. Holy shit. Son of a bitch. Jesus Christ. Fuck. Shit. Son of a bitch. Jesus Christ. The accoutrement that you will need. Accoutrement? What is that shit? <laughs> Fuck. Not even funny anymore. All right. Uh, a great match, a, a great watch, and an interesting discussion. Not a classic for us this week, um, but we do have next week ahead of us. I think, do you have an announcement you want to make before before that, or you want to just go into the match? So we had, uh, we asked for your feedback. We offered up a T-shirt, and you responded. We had a little rando drawing, and uh, we appreciate the feedback. When I announce the winner here, we are men of our word. Username, no name, two, nine, two, zero, six, two. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I remember no name. That is loyal listener, Mr. Jeff. Uh, You are our winner. We will get with you, pick out a shirt from Pro Wrestling Tees of your choice. And hey, please keep giving us feedback, guys. Give us an email. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It's really important. Um, that we hear from you and we continue to grow this thing. Correct. So next week, uh, seven days from now, we've got a match we need to discuss. And tell me, sir, what match is that? So since we have a theme next week of attending things live, we will be, as we've said, 150,000 times attending AEW's Fighter Fest Night 2 live in Dallas. Actually, it's a suburb, isn't it? What suburb is it? A Garland. Those goddamn suburbs. <laughs> anyway, I thought I would pick another match that we've attended live. We all can probably agree, and we may have to debate it one day, but Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker at WrestleMania 25, a classic, right? Well, they had another badass match a year later, and it was Shawn's last before a shitty tag match that we should all forget about. I don't remember. I remember it being really good. We were there. I remember tearing up, knowing that was it for the heartbreak kid. Is it a classic? I have not watched that match since we watched it live. So there's a whole new way that I'm going to view it. But I'd like to answer is HBK Taker 2. Well, their second of their big WrestleMania matches at WrestleMania 26 in Phoenix, Arizona. Is that a classic? What do you think? Interesting. Interesting. I actually have watched it back, but it's been a while. Um, so I'm going to try and go in, not prejudging it. Um, but I mean, it was incredible to be there. And so we'll see how incredible it is to watch back again and see if it passes the old Danny and Chad classic test. Well, as always, we're going to ask you to, as Danny said, rate us, uh, on everywhere you can follow us on classic underscore pod on Instagram. Uh, email us at isitaclassicpod at gmail.com. Tell your mammy, tell your grammy, tell your friends, tell your spouse, tell your kids, 
tell your pets, tell everyone about us. Let's spread that classic listenership and get this community growing. But until next week, we will talk to you all again next week. Bye-bye now. <laughs>